Hello, everybody, and welcome back to DestalProx.com Comic Book Podcast. As always, I'm Dead. I'm jumping today, we got Birdie. The world's two most horrifying words. New 52. Man, Nico. Hey. And yeah, we're taking a look back at the New 52, but not all of it, just some of it. Uh, I was kind of debating on whether to call them like the Spooky 52 or the New 50 Spook or fucking whatever. Probably going to end up going with New 50 Spook. I think that one just rolls with the tongue better. But yeah. Okay. <laughs> so we had initially planned to do some kind of look back at the New 52 in September. But then scheduling got fucked. Somehow this got moved back or something. There's like other stuff got put before it. I think the thing we ended up doing in September was fucking Quantum and Woody, which we tended to do in August, and we did something else in August. It's the whole thing. Scheduling got fucked, but we are here, and appropriately enough, we're in October. You know, the month where people think, where people are like, everyone pumpkin and everything. And we just so happened to, when going through the New 52, picked out three books that were either just straight horror or at least horror adjacent. So I figured, hey, what better yeah. time than to just like, let's just fucking lean into it, I guess. When I say that, I mean in name only. Everything else is going to be show as normal. Yeah, I mean, well, if we talked about the other kinds of books that were coming out of the first round of the New 52, they would be horrifying, but not horror. They weren't that bad. Some of them were that bad. Yeah, some of them were, but it's like the New 52 as an experiment was overall a failure, but overall not very offensive. Like there were offensive moments in there, but the entire thing itself was just kind of meh. Well, yeah, I think um, homogeneity might be the word that best describes it. And it's a word I will probably have to apply at least a little bit to some of the stuff we're talking about tonight, today, but not as bad as some of the other stuff, like the the weird... Stu- most of it's... Usually it's more aesthetic stuff that's bad about the New 52. Usually it's not writing, with a few minor exceptions. But, I mean, everyone remembers the stuff like the... Did you know there are people who, like, love the Supergirl costume from the New 52? I don't know if I remember the new Supergirl costume from the New 52. No, not memorable. (laughs) But anyway, so yeah, we're going to be doing something a little bit different, though, with the show. So we are talking about three different books today. We will be going into our normal in-depth discussion of the first book, of the first uh, issue of each of these books. And then the person who suggested it will also kind of give a broad overview of the first volume of it just for as an idea of like hey how did it go from there what not necessarily what was the book like quality wise after the first issue just so much as it is did it keep up with what that first issue was or did it just kind of like get better did it get worse is that kind of a thing and so yeah we have our three books to talk about we have demon knights we have animal man and we have frankenstein agent of shade and we're going to be going down those in order of who picked them in the call so in this case I'll be starting with Demon Knights, picked by Birdie. Yeah, for reference, I was going back and forth between this and maybe the one non-horror one, which was Static Shock, and that one was so homogenous that it disappointed me. So I was like, no, let's do Demon Knights. Yeah, so Demon Knights, um, originally published September 14th, 2011, written by Paul Cornell, penciled by by Diogenes Neves. I'm probably butchering that name, I'm sorry. Yeah, who basically didn't do a whole lot for a while after the new 52, but this apparently made a resurgence recently. Yeah. Um, inked by, um, Claire Albert and, uh, colored by Marcelo Maialo. And also covers by Tony S. Daniels. Who the artist I felt like his work actually kind of, uh, apes a little bit. Like he kind of looks like quite a bit like Tony Daniel, I would say like, I thought it was for a moment while reading this, 
Um, I think he his, his style is very close to uh, Tony Daniels style. Yeah, and I will say uh, for for this stretch of books that we're going to be looking at, I think his is the art I like the best. Yeah, like everyone else, I, like everyone else that has issues that we'll get into when we talk about them. But I think this one was, I think this book, I think it had like some of like the cleanest art. It had like the best, um, for me at least, it had the best like a non surrealist fucking um, like landscape shots. I think it had the best character look. Yeah, I agree with you, but I would also say that those other artists, I think, are more better suited to those books that they are on in the sense that like, yeah, I may like this style the most that's evident in this book. But um, I, I just think that it, I don't think uh, they would have worked as well on this title, let's say, that they than they did on their individual titles as artists. Whether or not you're you're yeah. a fan of their, their 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 style is a whole other thing entirely. I just think it's, you uh, know. My thought on the art is it is a perfectly good art style. It just maybe feels like the wrong art style. I can see for that. For this. Because... Considering we're talking about like uh, dark ages, middle uh, medieval knights and magic and stuff, I would maybe want an art style that doesn't feel right at home for a Superman book. And that's fair. Yeah, like looking through it but again. The quality of the art is fine. It's just not maybe what I would have wanted. Yeah, it does look a little anachronistic at times for like the way like characters like pose themselves and like facial expression stuff it does look very it does look very modern comic and not so much medieval comic especially that bit with the baby but i guess we'll get into it so demon knights issue one starts with something that bugs me i, I could say a lot of things about this first issue that bugged me but go ahead yeah it's it's a very weird thing that i don't know why i got hung up on when i was reading it but i like read it and then I'm like okay wait the what the fuck because prologue there's a little bit of a prologue about the fall of Camelot where uh, a knight is like trying to get his sword back, like trying to get King Arthur's sword back to Excalibur, but then he throws it in the lake. It gets caught by Lady Lake and Madame Xanadu jumps in to try to grab it. And I guess that's where she got her immortality from. I guess it's not really clear on that. It's not really clear. Uh, meanwhile, Merlin has captured Etrigan and then forcibly, for, forcibly fuses him to Jason Blood. Well, Jason of Norwich, who becomes eventually Jason Blood. Yeah, fuses them together. And then we jump ahead to the Dark Ages, a period of time that is 900 fucking years and thus not a good thing to say just, hey, we're in the Dark Ages. Yeah, I mean, that's always the problem when you refer to the Dark Ages is that it's never entirely clear what you're talking about, where you're talking about. If I had to guess, I'd say this is somewhere in mainland Europe, but I don't know for sure. Well, consi well, considering they have fucking dinosaurs, I'm assuming it's nowhere real. No, but like I, I, <laughs> I know this is why I this is why I appreciate things like Conan the Barbarian just coming up with fantasy continents, so we don't have to start having these questions. Like, for instance, when we figure out that the obvious Amazon is obvious, and it's like, okay, where's Greece in all of this? Yes. Like, how did how did we get from Greece to here? Yeah, don't think about it. <laughs> yeah, so Fall of Camelot, let me, let me fast forward 400 years to the Dark Ages, which, because it's 400 years ago, it's entirely possible that the prologue was also just the Dark Ages. Yeah, I'm also, I mean, just, uh, just purely on the Arthurian myth itself, I'm not entirely clear when it's, because the Arthurian myth always looks like it's supposed to happen during the Dark Ages, 
but whenever they talk about it in fantasy stories, they act like it happened like thousands of years before the Dark Ages. Yeah, who the fuck knows, man? Well, anyway, we are now in the modern Dark Ages as a as the Horde, this massive fucking army of people with like battle, like fucking battle lions and battle lizards and battle fucking birds and barbarians and dragons and just a brachiosaur mm-hmm. are questing across a uh, the land under the leader leadership of the questing queen and Mordru, her wizard, who uses a baby in order to effectively figure out if they're going the right way. We have to scry, I guess. Yeah, he summons something into the baby, and the baby's like, "You're going the right way. Don't worry about it." Oh shit, this thing's too weak. And every and fucking the questing queen's like, "Oh, that sucks." Anyway, are we anyway? So going the right way then. Just yeah. if you I, if you I need to know who the bad guys both. are. Yeah, and I have a question for you both on that. Is that lady supposed to be Morgan Le Fay? Morgana Le Fay? I don't know. Because uh, yeah, I think so. I don't know. Because calling her what her lover slash I think she says son Mordrew makes me think his actual name is Mordred. But I don't know if they ever established that she's Morgana Le Fay, but that would fit since we're talking about the Arthurian stuff and she's after the Grail, but so if, again, I don't know. <laughs> so if we're just so going by what's on the DC fandom wiki <laughs> uh, she's just the questing queen. I mean, okay. you, you you asking that is kind of addressing my biggest issue with this first issue was the fact that I felt like this was did a poor job at kind of setting things. What is going things. on? Yeah, you know, like, like it, it, I mean, I appreciate just getting thrown into the middle of things sometimes if it's not done to well. This, not right. To this if it's if it's done well, like this issue didn't serve well as either a setup for the setting and the characters, and and you usually want to get the band together. Like I love a good issue where they get everybody together, and and this kind of just kind of somewhat introduced folks, but did a poor job in doing so. Like and and. And I don't know. You didn't really get to like get to know anybody either. Like I felt like it just was very quick, and I don't know. I, I just think the setup was really bad for a first issue, honestly. Yeah, like I'm I'm kind of just going through the pages again, and we get introduced to every single one of our main characters in four pages, just back to okay, back to back. So I mean, we're technically yeah, we're technically introduced to Etrigan and Jason Blood and Madame Xanadu in the prologue. Yes, but in terms but of where they, they are in the story rush. currently. They just rush through the rest, and I, yeah, yeah. It's is is the horsewoman in it? Uh, let me see. Yeah, issue one. Like, so, okay, no, so okay. Issue, the horsewoman's not in it yet. Issue one. She, yeah, issue one introduces. Um, yeah, we'll, we'll get there because we're right there right now. As they're like, yeah, the, the horde is just like, all right, we're heading to Albuserum. Suck to be there. As we then cut to there, where Madame Xanadu and Jason Blood are heading in, where they run into Vandal Savage. Everyone's favorite character. Yeah, I want to share something just amusing because I was telling Caveman that I was t- talking about this book and that Vandal Savage was in it. Uh, it didn't really occur to me until I actually talked with him about it. I don't. Th- in most cases, Vandal Savage is not that interesting of a character. Yeah, because he's just kind of I'm immortal and smart. Ooh, fear me. Yeah, in most cases, he's only interesting when his goal has failed. <laughs> and like Cave was referencing the Justice League Unlimited episode, on um, Justice League episode where Superman, quote unquote, died and went to a post-apocalyptic future, and Vandal Savage was there, and he was more heroic because he realized that world conquest, the world where everyone was dead, was kind of meaningless. Yeah, 
and this is also a very weird vandal savage where he's like actually a savage yeah and it might actually be the most interested i've ever been in vandal savage mainly because of this one line uh let's see uh i've always been jealous you fellow mortals who are at the fall of camelot i have almost no ethics myself you understand but i like them in others yeah that's a that's that's a neat little character thing that if they don't follow up on it i agree they don't follow up on it yeah, but, don't follow up on it in the first issue at least and also no they don't having I, him just, having I, him just literally state it i i, I really I don't mind it. that because he's 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 arrogant enough to just state his views out loud. Anyway, Nico, you're saying? Oh no, I was just gonna say that I really enjoy the setting uh, of this book, and 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 honestly, the characters. I just feel like if you're not very familiar with these characters, this first issue does nothing for you in the sense of trying well, to get of, you interested and in, uh, more interested in some of these people. Well, I just don't. You some of these you literally can't have be been invested in it before. Like they picked right. a random Amazon. It's I thought it was Hippolyta for the longest time until they said her name, but no, it's not Hippolyta. It's just a random exiled Amazon. And when they explained to you why she was exiled, I'm like, bitch, that's just the Amazon code. Why did they kick you out for that? Yeah, because we needed a story to happen. Anyway, right. yeah. So Vandal Savage get into a bar. They also meet the they also meet the current version of the Shining Knight. Who, who is deliberately androgynous. Yeah, because they're apparently actually, like, in canon non-binary. Yes. That is the most interesting thing about them. Especially, yeah. for, like, especially for, like, 2011. Yeah, that is kind of surprising that they would make a character non-binary. Although this was at the same time Loki was running around in a chick's body. And I feel like that's different than non-binary. Fair enough. Yeah, then from there we also meet um, Al Jabur. Al Jabur? Jabur? Jabar? I don't know how to pronounce it. And it's just someone to be racist uh, at. Al, it's either Al Jabbar or Al Jabir. I can't remember when it's just B R. Yeah, it's just someone to be. It's just someone for the white folks to be racist at. Part of me wants to say Al Jabber, but he's one of the characters I actually like, so I don't want to call him a Jabber. Yep. And then there is Exoristos, the Amazon, who which literally I I looked it up. Exoristos literally just means exiled in Greek. <laughs> they make that joke later in the book. It's just she literally comes out of nowhere. Mm-hmm. Like, it's just a panel of just uh, Al Jabir just going like, hey, could I buy anything? My guy, I have money. And the bartender's like, fuck off back to where you came from. Bah, I'm European. Yeah. And then suddenly fuck she... Fuck off with your weird Eastern magics. Yeah, and then suddenly she's just there and towering over everyone. Literally not in any previous panels. It's just a panel with Al Jabir. He's there. There's a shadow of the bartender's hand, and then she's standing there right there. As then... Literally seconds later, the door to the bar gets burst open, and I'm pretty sure that was the door that, that Vandal Savage burst open. So, uh, so how did they get a second door? Let me look again. Yeah, and so then Jason is like, all right, yep, fuck it. Etrigan, let's go, boy. Yeah, no, it's the same door. <laughs> yeah, and he summons Etrigan, who, guess what? He and Xanadu are smashing. They're cucking Jason blood. Yeah, and... um minor thing from later in the book uh it's not made clear they do this deliberately and i think it's kind of a dumb idea that she's playing both sides like she's not really interested in either of them she's just playing what she needs to get what she needs out of both jason blood and out of etrigan so she's not really into either of them which uh cool. the 
the Amazon's like, oh, well, she's a she's a discredit to our gender, and <laughs> that's a because uh, you know Amazon, so she has to be judgmental of every other woman on Earth. A new which, fifty, new fifty two, Amazon. Yeah, which I will say to the book's credit, uh, someone shoots her in the in the in the gut for that. So yeah, so then they so. Uh, Quest and Queen and Mordru, they sense magic, and so they summon a bunch of fucking dinosaurs. Some of them with swords, and it is, yeah. and it ends on a full page spread that I only just realized was a decapitation. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I don't. Uh, <laughs> the placement of the head in like behind, like you see a body like behind him. It kind of almost makes you think like the head got spun around or something. Yeah. It's, <laughs> it's like, like the head was spun around and then it also got like way bigger. Yeah. It's, it's a weird placement. Like I think that part of the illustration doesn't work for me. Otherwise it's really cool. Like the, 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 the thing barging in at the top of the, the, the full page spread, I think is really cool. Yeah. Or, or just um, that they're fighting Listolfos from legend of mm-hmm. Zelda. Yeah, it also has like a fish eyeing effect almost. Where, yeah, because the side the sides of the edge are distorted more than the middle. Yeah, because yeah. the edge distorted, and also like like there are a couple like dudes' heads on either side of the frame that it, also kind of like look a little, little distorted. So like, Buh? yeah, it's just that placement of yeah. I, I just don't yeah, think they did that 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 well. But it's, otherwise, it's, it's I thought head, it was it's, good. It's the fact that the head is blocking the cut, so we can't see it. Yeah. Yeah, and there's no gore coming out of the head either because no, no, so that's the thing. There's gore coming out of there's gore coming out of what looks like the top of his head, looking like the fucking lizard thing is like swinging his pommel down into his head and spinning it around. Yeah, he failed at showing the fact that that is actually his head going flying off of Yeah, uh, well that's, <laughs> like, but, that's my, but that's my point. If you cut someone's head off, there should be gore coming out of the bottom. Right, which I'm sure it is, but the head's blocking it, right? Yeah, yeah, the, it's, the head it's, is it's, blocking it's, itself. Yeah, I don't. Yeah, the placement of that head and the size of it, because I feel like he's trying to do too many different like perspectives here because like we're seeing it pan out. You're seeing the people on the sides reaction. You're seeing the thing in the background taking down the door. But then there's also like a, like, like the level of like depth perception, like the fact that we're seeing this head flying at the kind of the reader here. But then it doesn't work well with the placement of the body behind it. Right. Yeah, like, like, it's, like maybe like maybe like move the body a little bit over to the side that we can actually see like the lizard, like the dragon thing coming through the portal more. Cause that I'm the- glad you guys noticed this too, because when I was reading it, I was like, what the fuck is going on? <laughs> yeah. Yeah. And that's not the only time that happens. There's a number of times throughout this first volume where, uh, the art is of higher quality, but mistakes like that occur, uh, particularly at the start of the next issue when Vandal Savage is trying to eat the tongue of a dinosaur. <laughs> so in that case, then, yeah, Birdie, how did the rest yeah. of the first issue go? Where did the first volume go? Fine. <laughs> it's <laughs> it's weird. Uh, I feel like this concept has more potential than is utilized because kind of the same reason I like the times whenever they Marvel does Conan stories, dealing with kind of the immortal characters in a different setting where it's more barbaric and not full of cape superheroes is interesting idea. And of course, it's more barbaric, more gory more crass in some ways. Uh, but these, these, at least at the first volume, these characters are not a particularly good team. And I guess that's by design, but I don't really like any of them. 
which yeah, is they, a part of the problem. <laughs> yeah, like just looking at this first issue, almost all of them seem like assholes. <laughs> yeah. With the exception of like Al Jabir, he's he seems okay. Just Yeah, Al Jabir's kind of the one who I mostly like and if they let him do more than just be the intelligent one who understands scientific principles in a world of barbarism, sure. Ugh, but, uh, that old trope. Yeah, because he's the one who builds siege machines. He understands magical. He, he understands magic conceptually, not just as "ooh, it's spooky, hoogity boogie bullshit." Yeah, Madame Xanadu's over here, like I don't know what I'm doing. I'm just fucking throwing shit together. And he's like, "No, bitch, fucking let me do it." Yeah, and uh, man, the shit with Madame Xanadu. I I always try to feel bad for Jason Blood when he's not being too whiny, given like. Merlin literally just fucks him over. But, oh yeah, Merlin. Uh, Merlin did Merlin things and made him awful. Yeah, but they're not doing. They're they do too many of the like edge lord things that I don't like, and my heroes to do because at one point, uh, apparent apparently, Xanadu's thing, as best I understand it, is she is powered by contradictions. <laughs> so. Which that's a sentence I know, but uh, that sounds like a fucking like reject character from the Brotherhood of Dada. Possibly, I don't know, but it's like so. At one point, she uses up too much of her power, putting up a spell shield basically to keep the dragons out, and she like withers away. Like she apparently used up half her life force to cast the spell, and only lasts for about twelve hours. And she says, "I could regain my energy if." I murder a innocent man who is already dying because that's a pointless contradiction, but she can't bring herself to do it. So instead they go with a much more horrifying thing where a priest got sent to hell by accident because Etrigan burned him alive during the conflict <laughs> and he is now crying in hell. So Jason blood goes down into hell to collect the tears of his suffering so that she can literally drink those tears and rejuvenate. <laughs> My God, I know it's Etrigan, but like, come on, man, that <laughs> seems like a bit much. Yeah, I mean, honestly, by comparison to that, the shit with the other characters is fairly banal. Like, uh, Horsewoman, who's I think her name is literally just Horsewoman. I don't know if she has an actual name yet. Her whole thing is she's magically bound to a horse, and. If the horse dies, she has to magically bind to another horse. And if she's not careful, she may die because if the horse is not completely dead, she's literally magically stuck to it. So she's been on several occasions trapped under a horse in conflict. So but because of that. She <laughs> so her name is I'm probably going to butcher this too, Clitumnestra. <laughs> Okay, I must have missed that. I, I, they kept calling her Horsewoman. That so is, that's that what is, I thought her name. Horsewoman is her super name. Oh, okay. Yeah, her real name is her real name is Clymenestra. Clymenestra. It's C L Y T E M N E S T R A, which is a Greek figure, and like literal Greek mythology figure. So, and she's okay. connected, and she's connected to the red. Well, that makes sense because she controls horses. So, yeah. But yeah, she's she's the one who gets mad at um, the the Amazon because the Amazon uh, tries to rally the women folk uh, of the village to defend them, and a 
young upstart girls like, hey, I know all the spy villages, all spy all the tunnels and uh, trails out of the village. I can send out a spy and get a message out. Say, good, do a credit to your gender. Five seconds later, oh god, that little girl got eviscerated. <laughs> uh, credit to her gender. Yeah, so horsewoman shot the <laughs> shot the Amazon in the gut for that one. Did she uh, live? Yeah, no, she says, I, I intentionally missed anything vital. Just wanted you to feel pain, you bitch. Okay. So I have two main uh, questions. Okay. One, you you have talked a little bit about your love of Etrigan. How do you feel about him not rhyming in this? Because uh, that's Etrigan's I, entire thing. I Yeah, I feel like that must have been one of the edgelord decisions. Like, oh, uh, we can't have something that silly in this, so we have to remove a intricate, intricately established trait of the character. Which, again, I can't believe I have to give credit to Garth Ennis for this. When he wrote Etrigan, at a, at the book was called Hell's Hitman, he still had him rhyming. Yeah, and also, so and also it's what's not e like if, if... Sorry, go ahead. If the King of Edgelords, Garth Ennis will keep the rhyming trait of the character. Maybe get off your high horse and just let him rhyme. It's fun. Also, what's edgier than bad poetry? It, it, poetry? Here, <laughs> here, here's, here's what I'll say about it. Um, I don't mind because I've read some... I'm a big fan of the character too, and I've read certain writers not do the rhyming thing. Um I'd rather them not do it than do it badly. And I feel like I, I've seen <laughs> oh, so, like a lot of okay, writers do it enough. badly. And like in the times that the people that do it badly, uh, you know, like I said, I'd rather them just not even bother. And uh, also sometimes it does get tiresome. I don't mind if he kind of gets into rhyming kind of periods, like it, it's still in there, but do I need him to be rhyming the entire time I'm reading the book? No, uh, personally for me. Um, but I agree. If you're good at doing it, then it is fun to see him bust it out every now and then. So just, uh, so just like, at, sorry, go ahead. Yeah, no, yeah, that's it. That's it. Yeah. So, so just like when Edrigan starts getting really juiced, he just starts getting into like a rhyming pocket. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, no, I just, I, you know, I just, just because just to remind the reader, like, this is kind of like, you know, who this character is, but I don't necessarily need him to do it the entire book, especially if he's one of the central characters, because I found, I found like certain times reading uh, him rhyming all the time. I don't, I don't, I don't know. I don't like it all the time, personally. Like it's just yeah, like I mean, what, it's just like Zatanna when she ever she does the backwards word stuff. Um, you know, you got to have that as part of the character, absolutely. But sometimes when I'm reading, I don't enjoy having to read that, like all the backwards words and stuff like that. So, like me personally, I, 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 I like getting reminded of these things, but I don't need her doing it every single page. You know what I mean? Yeah, like, so the reason I feel it's necessary here is because it helps offset the fact that I don't really like anyone here. <laughs> yeah. So, no, that's fair. That's fair. I mean, yeah, it's a personal... Yeah, yeah, I mean, absolutely. Again, Etrigan, because usually I like the Jason Blood and dislike Etrigan, and that's just the way the character's built. But since, like I said already, Jason Blood's down in hell collecting the tears of the suffering to feed to his girlfriend, I can't like him either. So... I need something, and like, God, I almost felt like I'd have to like B Vandal Savage, who surprise, surprise, Vandal Savage betrays them. 
Oh my god! So he's like, I'm just out for me. Ha ha. Uh, yeah, in that sense, I get where you're coming from. You get the super one fucking note character of Vandal Savage in there. You have an Etrigan that isn't rhyming. You know what I mean? Like, I get it. Yeah, that's <laughs> you, yeah. you know. There's... That's the biggest problem with the writing in this is that the the action stuff is fine. Yeah, but it's like even if you're writing like Conan or Red Sonia, there are likable traits to the characters. So. I was kind of hoping for more likable traits for these characters, which I don't really get a lot of. Yeah, no, there wasn't a whole lot of, even in that first issue, there wasn't a whole lot of like, ah, someone I can latch onto and enjoy. It was all just kind of, yeah. it was all just kind of assholes, like I said. Yeah, which again, fits with the start of the New 52. I remember how Superman and the rest of the Justice League were acting at the start of the New 52. Oh yeah, it was just a bunch of people just having a dick measuring contest. Yeah, I mean, fuck, Hal Jordan went dibs. When he saw Wonder Woman, so it's like, uh... Yeah, did that fucking... Batman did the whole, like... You whole... concentrating? Yeah, that whole thing. Like, that was... <laughs> I I I I do I do I I do got to say though I think it it is it is it was nice to see though something that's completely not involved if you like this issue this series uh, with the new fifty two like totally uh, like outside of everything I feel like going on with that so I, yeah, it, you know I yeah. I gotta commend them for trying that because the thing I was reminded of in the next two books that we're talking about which are also well which are both written by Jeff Lemire is that a lot of these writers had to basically bring up the fact that we're seeing superheroes for the first time. Like, cause they, cause if you guys remember, like it was yeah. supposed yeah. to be the start of the justice league. Oh, we're seeing Batman and Superman now. And like yeah. rereading that now, I'm just like, that hasn't aged well. Like, I'm like, why the fuck are they referring to them? Like in this yeah, sense, I mean, right? That, like that's <laughs> one of the few things I don't like about Frankenstein and the agents of shade when we get to that sure. book. But uh, yeah. Uh, so, so, so actually that, on the one hand, I appreciate that there's nothing related to the main DC universe here. On the other hand, they don't give me enough good stuff to keep me all no. that invested. So then that brings up to, that brings me to my second thing. Was there anything else in this book that alluded to the fact that these people go on to make Stormwatch? No. Because apparently, again, looking at the wiki, the Demon Knights were the predecessor organization to Stormwatch. You know, the space people. Yeah, they never mention anything related to that. <laughs> it's just, just completely out of fucking nowhere. They just go, oh, by the way, they go on to make Stormwatch. I'm like, fucking what? <laughs> yeah, the, the the closest to an overall plot they suggest in this is that apparently Albasara might have the Grail, but that's about it. Well, well, that's that's I think I I think that's a product of uh, also though them trying to make connections between a lot of these titles, the kind of you know uh, a raising tide lifts all ships type of mentality with the new fifty two because like I, I think you're gonna see like even in Frankenstein Agents of Shade as it went on in the series they crossed over with Omac which is only an eight issue run uh, right there there was a cross he uh, showed up in the book Omac. of the short of the short lived Men of War series uh, he showed up in an issue of that. So they were really trying to like boost other book signals by using some of these characters and make connections between these people in a newly established timeline with the new 52. It just really, it didn't it do didn't well. Work. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Yeah, <laughs> like, it right? it would have so. been an easier, and I think really both studios, Marvel and DC should do this. You know what they should just learn from the bog industry? Just a weekly magazine, you know, just put them all in one book. So, Hey, Maybe when people like one book, they'll collect the trades instead hey, of I just... Fucked, I fucking suggested that, and I was told it was an awful idea. Was I the one who said that? Because I don't think I would have, but... Uh... Somebody fucking did. Okay. 
<laughs> so let's move on to our next book. My pick, Animal Man. Written by Jeff Lemire, uh, art uh, pencils by Travel Foreman, inks by Travel Foreman and Dan Green, with colors by Laverne Kinzerski. Uh. So, Bertie, before we recorded this, you sent a message to all of us mm-hmm. saying, hey, our nemesis Travel Foreman is back. Yeah, so I distinctly remember on a previous, at least one, if not more podcasts we talked about, his art came up and... I was not a fan, I know for a fact. And I'm looking through the list of at least stuff I know I've read. Maybe maybe I'm the only one who's read it, I don't know. Uh, so there was a, a Hawkeye Winter Soldier book that he did the art for with Matt Rosenberg. The, the, the writing for that was meh, but the art was distracting. Uh, coming after David Aja on Immortal Iron Fist was a mistake. <laughs> Yeah, I can't defend that. <laughs> David Ajla is so fucking good. I love that book a lot. So, yeah, no, I... Uh, and yeah. uh, speaking of New 52, he also did the art for the, in my mind, really god-awful Birds of Prey New 52 book, which I forgot was a thing, even though we're talking about the New 52 currently. And, oh, and also he did a lot of, in my mind, the kind of crappy artwork for the Marvel Black Cat stuff that came out recently. So, I, at least I apparently... So apparently not our nemesis, just my nemesis. My apologies. Yeah, because when you said the name Travel Foreman, for a second I was like, isn't that the guy from the Clone Saga? And I was like, no, that's was Judas Traveler. Oh, yeah. Uh, well, okay, I know we had that discussion. We were like, that can't be his actual name. Yeah. But it apparently is. Yeah, that, that's, <laughs> I, that's I think the only thing I actually remember about him is like we had a conversation where we were like, that, who the fuck names their per, who the fuck is named that? <laughs> <laughs> don't know the so, guy yeah, about my, him. Don't know nothing, anything about him. About him. So, so just, my apologies. He's didn't. not. He's not our nemesis. He's just well, my nemesis. Well, every time I've seen his art, it has been not good. Yeah, I, I, I wouldn't say I love his art though either. But I, I just think that there's certain pages in this issue, even like that. I think that he's good for. Like he's a very odd art style i'll say that much but like i i i think i think he excels in certain areas but then others like his character work and like yeah, honestly his... detail is not good yeah, like, yeah, so, like, his... I'll, I'll, say, I'll say this since he's my nemesis um he's good at the gore and he's good with the rot yeah like is like, that like like with with this backgrounds flat and kind of boring um, characters flit very Weird. wildly from like looking yeah. all right to looking like realistic versions of like meme faces to just looking like horrid monsters when they're not supposed to be. Yeah. Just kind of goes all over like, the place. But then when we get into yeah. like the surrealist stuff, like the red, the right. rot, like the morphogenic fields and all that shit, like the life web, that I think works really well. And so does all like the body horror stuff. Yeah, like the one is, I mean, again, just jumping ahead, like the eye bleeding part, awesome looking. That you know what I mean? Like, great. It, it, Right. Yeah. So, like, that's what I mean. I don't hate him, but he's a very particular artist. Like, like if they paired him up with another artist that just yeah, drew the pages. I feel pages, like they needed someone to make yeah. the more normal stuff look more normal. Yeah. So I, I can... would feel it more when we got to the absolutely the, to the daughter playing with dead kittens. Absolutely. Yeah. That I think that I think that will work a lot better. But I think so. That was my mistake. I thought he was our nemesis. He's just my nemesis. My apologies. <laughs> yeah, the art in this is very hit or miss. 
And that's yeah. what I would say about most of his art. And unfortunately, like I mentioned, he often comes after good artists. Like right. coming after David Aja on Immortal <laughs> Iron Fist. That was a mistake. Right. No, I, I agree with that wholeheartedly. And 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 honestly, like I said, I, I wouldn't even defend you saying that you don't like his art because I don't think I, I don't I'm not a huge fan of his art either. I just think that I don't think he's terrible. I think he excels in certain areas. I just think that uh unfortunately that's not it's hard to find a, a, an artist uh suited like like a book suited for him honestly like yeah, i and, feel like right like, and i would also like say a lot of same stuff we're saying i would say a lot about that about the colorist too like a uh, laverne kudzerski some of the some of the colors in this look fucking great and they add so much to what's happening but then some of the other ones all just look incredibly just flat and uninteresting yes like some of the worst scenes are the opening scenes with his family. Honestly. Oh yeah, oh yeah. Like opening scene, opening scenes were like in terms of just like art, coloring, panel layout too. There's like a bunch of just panels that just are like no background, just pure fucking white, just a bunch of dead space surrounding the cells. Mm-hmm. It just looks awful. It looks bland, and I like given what we get to with the horror art, I don't know why his normal art is so bland. Yeah, and Maybe I, he just draw normal people. Yeah, and I will say this: like the first, I think, I, I think just getting ahead of it the first like third of this book is i think the worst art we get in the book ah I'll, so it gets better okay. I'll, oh yeah i'll be making some jokes later about stuff but for the most part i think this is the fav my favorite thing that i read in these three and i'm only yeah and yeah and even saying that this is just pretty good I yeah, thought this uh, was a much better issue first issue than the last one we just talked about oh god, yeah, god yeah of the two that we've talked about so far, this is much better. And I think of the three, it's got the strongest hook to make me want to read more. I was having more fun maybe with the third one when we get to that. But of the three, I was most hooked by the story of this one. Yeah, Sure, be- because it establishes the family aspect about this character. It gives you a little bit of superheroing. And then at the end, it gets fucking weird. Like it, it the pacing yeah. of it is excellent. It oh, gives yeah, you a little this, bit of everything. Oh, yeah. This, in terms of the issues, like we'll talk about it when we get to Frankenstein. This is the best pace, just fucking hands down. I agree. Yeah. I, mm-hmm. I, I, I didn't mind Frankenstein either, but I agree that this is definitely, this hooks you way more, I think, this issue. It's yes. not, it, it has less, it, there, Frankenstein has one annoying writing problem that I will talk to when we get to it, but I, I don't really have any writing. I like, I like buddy. I like buddy Baker, the way they write him in this. And I like most of his problems. Uh, I don't know what apparently happened to his daughter's previous pets, but so those weren't, those weren't her pets. Okay. We'll get there. Yeah. All right. (laughs) Yeah. So let's get into it. So issue one starts out with a newspaper interview, a magazine interview. For the Believer, written by written by a Believer journalist Jeff Lemire. It, so normally Never I don't. <laughs> normally I don't like a book opening up with text like this, but I will say again, it just did a lot for kind of giving you an insight into what's going on with this character. Like it, it yeah. kind of like having a page dedicated to this, I think added a lot to the book that something like, again, and I don't want to mean to harp on it, Bertie, like the, the demon light nights was lacking in, in, in the sense that it, we didn't really, oh, I, I feel really like admit, I'm like, what the hell is going on? Yeah, this is, right. yeah, this is literally just a info dump page of like, Hey, who's, here's the character. Here's what he, here's what he believes in. Here's all this other stuff. But I think because they do it in universe and pump so much of the characters, like, likability into it it just kind of plays off way better yeah yeah and it's not and it's not ignored by the rest of the issue it's discussed yeah in the story itself which helps 
Yeah. So like, yeah. So this issue is so yes. Yeah, so this first page is just a interview with Buddy Baker, who is out. Like, it's known that he is Animal Man. He's been Animal Man for a while, but then he is now, since then, kind of like put a back, put like superheroing on the back burner to go more towards animal activism and acting, acting in the new Ryan Daronofsky film Tights. It's a it's a dumb joke, but I love it. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, so he just kind of talks about it, just like talking about like um, balancing his like life with his family, all other shit. As we then get to him in the kitchen, going over the article that we just read, where he's like, "Do I sound arrogant doing this?" Hey, honey, do I sound arrogant doing this? Meanwhile, his wife is just like, just like just going through it. <laughs> like I do not know what her face is. Is she? I don't know if she's cutting an onion or just cutting like a fucking turnip and just being mad about it. <laughs> yeah, it's uh, yeah, it's weird. <laughs> But yeah, and his and, her, and his daughter want his daughter Maxine. Uh, all these characters, by the way, these are from the like the um, these are from the Grant Morrison run too. Yeah, like I'll I'll say this: the Grant Morrison Animal Man run is one of my favorite comics of all time. Yeah, I was gonna I was looking for a place to bring that up, but it's like so dead. Um, since this is a follow up on one of your favorite books ever, does it um meet the standard that you would expect? No, but it's all right. Okay. That's acceptable. Yeah, like it, it does. It's thematically, I think, very much similar to it, but it, it's treading different grounds. I I was a big fan of this series. I read it through its entirety, but I, I had wished, honestly, that they spent more time just with his stories before they went to that whole rock crossover with the Swamp Thing book that Scott yeah, Snyder that. was writing. Yeah, fuck that Swamp Thing book. Yeah, like I listen, um, you know, it was fine, but the crossover, I think, really put a damper on things like I, I guess on paper, it made perfect sense for the red and the green shit to actually co like because they coexist for them to do something with that. Yeah, but I just I just would have rather just spent more time with this kind of like what by the time they got back to this book, it didn't really last too much longer after that crossover, I feel like. Right. And I think like the best parts of this book were when you got that kind of family dynamic with him and his daughter and all that kind of stuff. That's that's always, that's always the best part. Yeah. So the best part of animal man has that or that or him shitting on the readers for reading his book. But, uh, the best part of animal man has always been the character of animal man and his relationships with his family. mm -hmm. Like even, like even when fucking Grant Morrison killed his entire family, that was still the, that was still the important part of it because that was the driving force behind everything. Right. And, it, and it ended with Grant Morrison bringing his family back to life. It's just like a, hey, sorry, bud. Mm-hmm. Can you imagine how many writers should take Grant Morrison's approach to things? Like the idiot who wrote uh, uh, Heroes in Crisis, <laughs> whoever he was. Uh. <laughs> God, just add his name to the fucking list in Birdie's notebook. I mean, as far as I'm concerned, you guys already thought his name was in my notebook, but... Uh... You know, we we did that because every time we mentioned him, you're just like, oh, fuck that guy. Yeah. To be fair, though, books like uh, Heroes in Crisis don't help that mindset for me. But, no, no, uh, they don't. No, it's not a good book. <laughs> it's I, a bad just, book. I, yeah, I just love what as soon as some, <laughs> as soon as someone's in oh, that my, book, it's very hard for them to get out. When I started that, that train of thought, my brain went through a series of, okay, what are the most like offensive death related things in dc and my mind went either that or the bit in um cry for justice where they just uh squelched leanne <laughs> yeah but, just uh, just off panel just oh yeah she's dead too bye 
God. Anyway, back to Animal Man. So yeah, this opening bit is just like family stuff. His wife's his wife's a bit miffed about like him. His wife's miffed about him both not doing superhero stuff anymore, and then when he goes out to do superhero stuff, a bit miffed about that too. It's this this scene might be the least I like Ellen, just because it's that same fucking tired superhero thing where it's the same like methodology of it too of just uh honey you used to be happier when you were a superhero well go about to be a superhero what do you mean you'll go and be a superhero what about our kids it, it happens a lot in superhero media that tries to look at anything that isn't just punching dudes right and it's just very tired and hackneyed and i see it all the fucking time ellen gets significantly better after this yeah she even like you know under her breath is just like oh you don't really do too much superheroing anymore i don't know why it matters like like <laughs> one of those things where she's like when when he's kind of like talking about oh yeah maybe i'll go check this out or he mentioned something about him being animal man and she's she kind of was like under her but she's like oh what'd you say she's like well you don't really do the animal man thing anymore what does it matter because they're talking about getting pets right like and he's like oh i can't really have a pet in the house i'm gonna merge with it or something you know like something like that about his powers right yeah if he spends too time with spends too much time with one animal it'll he'll bond to it and mess up his connection to other animals yeah, so it's kind of <laughs> it kind of yeah, so, seems like he, she's like, yeah, you were just happier when you're Animal Man. And then though, like, the page yeah. immediately after that, he's like, hey, I should go out and be a superhero. And his wife's like, buddy, we are about to have fucking dinner. Let the cops right. handle it. Right, right. I know. It's kind of <laughs> it's weird. <laughs> yeah, and she also loses funny. all detail on her face, just becomes like some weird just flesh wall. It yeah, looks that's terrible. Horrendous. That's yeah, that that panel is one of the worst ones in here, honestly. <laughs> yeah. Also, because it's now 2011, they added a fun little thing for a, like it's just a small thing for a Cliff, his oldest kid, where his kid was just always on his phone. He's like, "Hey, Dad, can I come with you? I'll film it. We can send him Justice League audition tapes." There's like him filming shit and just like having his phone with him. I just it's it's a very small thing, but it also feels like a very it feels like the the appropriate update to the character because last time we saw him was like the 80s, I think. Yeah, sure. Well. uh wasn't there the Peter Milligan book in the '90s that followed up Fair. Grant Morrison's? Fair, fair, forgot about that. I don't remember anything about that one. But yeah, just like as a modern 2011 update to a character, just making your child, just making your barely a teenage son, just obsessed with his cell phone and filming shit. That was just great. Yeah. That, that was just like really, yeah. really appropriate. And yeah, then Buddy hears about like his son runs up, was like, "Hey, we saw in the news, dudes fucking holding up a hospital with a gun," and he goes out to Animal Man it, and we get this like little narration about him. Like from Buddy, just kind of talking about how he just fucking loves being a superhero, and I'd love that. I love just that idea with the like, even in the horror thing. It's still just man, I love having powers. It, it's just fun. Mm-mm. This is the thing that you never really get a lot of, unless the book is specifically about like, hey man, being a superhero is all right. Yeah, yeah, I, yeah, I really, yeah go ahead. I just DC. I don't know when this happened. Just turned against the idea of people being happy to be superheroes. Yeah, I don't know, man. It's weird. Like, there's a couple rare exceptions. Like, we have the the uh, Peter J. Tomasi Superman run from the start of uh, Rebirth. Mm-hmm. And that lasted for a while, and that was good. Uh, the Wonder Woman book that um, was written by, what is his name? Greg Rucka. She seems mostly fine being a superhero until the end of Greg Rucka's run, and then it was just shit on her over and over and over again. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, so, and Buddy. And, uh, Sorry. Correct me if I'm wrong, Dead, but isn't Buddy usually, like, really happy being a dad and yeah, a he, superhero? Yeah, he loves it. Okay, that's what I thought. Yeah, like, like there's a reason that, there's a reason that, like, the 
the like big turning point for his character in the Grant Morrison thing was his family dying. They were mm-hmm. the most important thing to him. Yeah, yeah, he's he was overall a, a positive character. Like, although he he you know he knew there was a lot of problems in in the world. Uh, you know what I mean? Like he he was always game for kind of t- taking them on, right? Yeah, especially I mean, when you can, you can do yeah. both. Yeah, you can acknowledge there are problems and still be happy to be alive. I mean, yeah, and that's kind of what Buddy does. Of, isn't that kind of the premise of the uh, Huck? Yeah, 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 a little bit. Huck's just like I was like, yeah, things are bad, but I can help. So I'm gonna. Mm-hmm. It's nice and simple. This book it goes fucking weird with like the existentialism of just like the red and the rot and the green and all the other shit. But at the end of the day, it's about a good dude who wants to help and love his family. Yeah. So have you read the entirety of this run? Uh, I believe I read the entirety of the run way back in the day, but uh, for this, I am only really familiar and remembering the first volume. Okay, but for, based on your knowledge, though, it's it's a worthy enough follow up, so it's worth reading. I think so. It's not like it's not like if you go in there like being like, man, I can't wait for fucking Grant Morrison Animal Man season two, baby. You're going to be disappointed. Yeah. Yeah. It's not no, it's I mean, not that. But like, there's a reason the Grant Morrison Animal Man book keeps getting reprinted. It's largely considered one of the best comic runs of all time. So, yeah, but we'll get a bit deeper into it when we get like when we finish the first issue. But we're still doing the first issue. Yep. Yeah. So Buddy gets to the hospital and talks to Crenshaw, a I think a new character is a cop and we get the situation. Uh, dude lost his daughter and snapped. And so he's like, yeah, my daughter is being held hostage by the, by the fucking, uh, hospital. So I'm going to hold these kids hostage. Like I'm a kid back and buddy just goes in there just trying to talk. Like he's got a new suit that doesn't have any kind of face covering. It's just a, it's just a face hole with like a headband that goes around in the back of his head. And he takes that off, which is weird. Cause it's like, Hey, I'm showing my face and now I'm showing my face plus my forehead. Yeah, so it's like if Gambit wanted to show people his cheeks. Exactly. But yeah, he just like tries to talk him down, tries to de-escalate the situation. Doesn't work, so he goes full animal mode, uh, grabbing his quote-unquote action hero cocktail of animal abilities, which was um, elephant strength, fly reflexes, cheetah speed, and dog bark. Because apparently that one freaks him out. Well, yeah, certain dogs, they bark loud enough. If you're close enough to you, you freak the fuck out. It's just because it's a loud noise real close to you, so... Well, also freaks me out because it's a man on all fours running at you barking. Yeah, that'll do it too. That'll do yeah, it too. Yeah, I really like the way the way they portrayed uh, his powers here in this scene. Yeah, like this is gonna be one of the yeah. few. Would have been nice if they did that with Beast Boy and Titans. <laughs> I don't know why. That... Yeah, this is gonna be one of the like this early instance is one of the few instances like him just using his powers normally because it gets weirder from here. Yeah. Well, yes. yeah. I mean, even this time uh, it ends with, uh, "Dude, what's wrong with your face?" Yeah. What? What's wrong with my face? Yeah, as he <laughs> as he takes the guy out as peacefully as he takes the guy out as non harmfully as he can, because the guy's still like conscious and moving and stuff. He just is not holding a gun anymore. Uh, Buddy is bleeding from the eyes and ears. Yeah, that's that's fucking horrifying. It's that a page. it is <laughs> a great it is a great panel. Yeah, first time like I think second time actually the art really kicks in because like his initial reaction of like diving into the red to find animals to go with and then. Him like running up to bash the dude. I think those look really great, and, and play into Travel Foreman's like strength as an artist a lot better than the rest of the book does. Absolutely, yeah, yeah. He apparently is really good at gore and monstery shit, just not normal people. Yeah, as yeah, Buddy gets a once over by the doctors, and they're like, "Yeah, you're perfectly healthy. I just I can't tell what's wrong with you. I, wa- I would li- I would like to keep you in for a little bit just to like run some more tests." 
And Buddy says, no, nah, I'm going home. I got a family to look after. And he leaves his boots on and leaves his boots off at the door like his wife asked him to because he's a good fucking husband. <laughs> Just small things. I love it. So yeah. good. As we then cut into probably the best part of the book in terms of like visual, at least. Yes. As we get into this like insane black and white dream sequence as his son's like running up to him. It's like, hey, wake up, dad. We got to go. Just trying to run away um, as Cliff is like yelling at him about like what Maxine did to his what Maxine did to Ellen and everything else as Cliff is then all of a sudden is just eviscerated his guts just like pouring out of him as Maxine comes up to him with a massive fucking dog that looks like her stuffed animal. Uh, Maxine tries to like lead him into a river of blood to go to the tree. Doesn't really explain what what that is just the tree Uh, before Buddy's entire body disappears leaving just his vascular system. Like a like a fucking panel out of a Dr. Manhattan transformation. As he's then approached by the Hunters 3. The rot in the red. The fl- They are the flesh-made sickness. Just these three massive fucking horrendous monsters that, again, look fucking fantastic and horrifying. As Buddy snaps open and snaps awake as his, uh, as his wife is calling for him. And uh, we see Maxine outside just with a bunch of dead animals. Just kind of hanging around her. And she's just petting them. And we can see like a holes dug under fences. One of the one of the fence panels is just literally smashed through, and that's she won. Yeah, I, I enjoyed revisiting mm-hmm. this one. I I, I thought yeah, it was the a, the strong start. Was the strongest uh, hook to me to want to keep reading it. Yeah, absolutely. It was. The rest of it was cut. The, the action bit with the hospital was fine. I liked seeing how his powers work. Uh, I liked. I like the writing of the character stuff with his family at the start of it. It's just the art would made it kind of distracting because I would have liked it if his bratty daughter looked more normal before she started summoning dead cats. But, <laughs> um, but I, I, yeah, yeah. I, I was going to say that I, I looked something up just to confirm because I thought I had remembered hearing about this at the time. Uh, and it, I guess it's true. Uh, Travel Foreman, I guess, publicly had talked about it. After I think this first trade, like I don't know if he sticks around far too long after this. And the reason being, uh, just for context, was that when DC gave him this job, he had said that at the time it was the only gig like they were really gonna they were really offering him. And he said normally this would have been a perfect book for him, but unfortunately he was the reason that he had to take down this job was because uh, for bills for reasons that they needed money. And because uh, his mother had just died, and he said that uh, the bu- the book the book became too dark uh, for him while doing it, and he had to step away from the project much sooner than he had actually uh, uh, wanted to, uh, to leave the book. He said it just at the time. He said just drawing this book really burned him out sooner than what he would have expected it to. But he said, given the source material, he's like, yeah, it wasn't a good fit for me at the time, and he ended up leaving it. Right? So yeah. like uh, it's. Yeah, so I yes, just wanted so, to give that context because I remember that hearing about that at the time, right? When he left the title. Yeah, so I guess looking into it, um, Travel Foreman was the artist for the first eight issues. Yeah. And then came back for the 29th issue where he and Jeff Lemire did art. The 29th issue is the final issue of this run. Which I own a page from, actually, that <laughs> hangs on my wall. I, I, I own the Jeff Lemire page. Uh, one of his pages from that issue I actually bought from him personally, which I'm, I, I, it's one of my favorite pieces of art I have in my collection of original art. Um, yeah, very cool. Nice. Sorry, I, did, I, had to, I had to flex a little bit there. I was like, I actually own a page for that. 
I, it's again, I was a huge fan of the book and Lemire's at the time. So that was the only interiors he drew on this whole series was in that last issue. He drew some pages and, uh, and I have one that kind of is like a, a full page spread of him and his, uh, fam- like his daughter and, and, uh, one of the other characters, I think that was in that issue that I can't recall his name, but yeah, very, very cool. Alrighty then. All right. And then getting into the rest of volume one, uh, I think, yeah, the book just keeps like the book just kind of keeps it up. It, d- it does does well um in terms of just like keeping up this pace it keeps up uh the like like it gets way more horrifying with some of the artwork stuff that they do this gets way more into the body horror and ties the body horror into like animal man himself because up until now the kind of inherent joke about animal man has always been his powers are dumb because they are he gets the abilities of the animal doesn't make sense how he actually gets the ability. Like when he goes to fly, when he gets like the flight of a bird, how is he flying? Well, I mean, the same could be true for Vixen, and no one seems to shit on her for that. Well, no, like no one's shitting on it. It's just kind of a joke in the book that was set up with Grant Morrison. Mm-hmm. Oh, okay, that bit I don't know. Yeah, and so then, and so then with this, uh, going into the red seems to change his powers a bit. Where now, whenever he uses animal powers, he takes on aspects of the animal. Right. But but before it was just like whatever animals were like in a certain radius or something, isn't it? Something like that. Like yeah, just, or, any, like, just any animal in a radius, he was able to just like right, pull which, an ability of it. <laughs> which honestly is like almost like a Dally's for hero-esque kind of fucking power set because like you could pull some pretty fucking useless powers at the time, right? Oh, you know yeah. what I mean? Like something that you you have yeah. no use for when you're facing well, off that, against somebody. I mean, it's not first round, but the but the new fifty two run of Dial H for Hero is, I believe, also another one of Batman's oh, favorite. It's books. so fucking right. good. Right, right. <laughs> it's so good. We need we we need to go back and look at that at some point. <laughs> I'm, fu- I'm down with that. I but, read about half of it. But yeah, so uh, from there, like from that first issue, um, we kind of like learn a lot. Um, in particular, this book does a, this book pulls a Grant Morrison and goes, hey, remember your backstory? Yeah, that ain't real. Because Animal Man's original backstory was he found a meteorite and then he touched it and then he got animal powers. Then in the Grant Morrison run, aliens gave him the powers, like just like took them apart and put them back together with animal powers. And then rewrote and then, re- and then like rewrote his memory to be something he could accept more. And then we get into this where he meets up with the totems who are like the Parliament of the Red, and they're like, "Hey, that alien thing, that wasn't real. We made that up, so you might accept it more. We did something to you so that when you gave so when you had a kid, they would be the next Avatar of the Red, because he was literally made to just make children who would then be more powerful. Mm-hmm. As yeah, his do- his daughter Maxine, his four year old daughter, is the next Avatar of the Red." As, yeah, the Hunters 3, they get on their fucking trail. Um, two of the Hunters get into the red and start fighting him uh, and really fuck him up. He just, like, it's, it's interesting seeing the main character of a book be, like, the least important player in the book. Yeah, well, I think Jeff Lemire was on record saying, like, this was more so his daughter's book than it was his, like, as the story goes on, especially, like, yeah. so, yeah, like, it was more about her legacy than it was about uh, buddies, right? Like, he kind of obviously is a big part of the book, too, but um, I think he said he he preferred, like, writing her story over 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 his, in that sense. Yeah, but yeah, so as, as the uh, hunters are fought off in the red... Um, one of the, one of the totems, a cat, 
who took on the name like I think Ignatius or something, and then and then was like and then was like I, I was called Sock, but uh, I was called Socks, but in the red I took the name Ignatius, and and Maxine's like I like socks, so now they just have a fucking super powerful cat following them around called Socks, mm-hmm. and the uh, the final of the Hunters three. Uh, took over the body of Crenshaw. Well, like not took over, like cloned the body of Crenshaw and followed, and like essentially kidnapped, um, the kidnapped uh, Ma- uh, Ellen and Cliff and brought them to Ellen's mom's house. You know, just as like effectively bait to try to bring in the Avatar and fucking Cliff, who no one in this fucking book gives a shit about. Like all <laughs> all the important players, whenever they, whenever they talk about it, whenever like the Hunters three talk about it, it's like the Avatar and that other one. It's just. Find it very funny. Mm-hmm. Some guy named Steve. <laughs> it's a guy named Buddy. Thank you. <laughs> I know. I know. That's that. Steve is often the joke name with for that kind of character. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. As as yeah. Then Buddy like almost gets fucking murdered before his daughter. Before his daughter does exactly what the bad guys want to do, and that sets off the entire plot. Where the rot, the the black, the the like Parliament and Kingdom of Death is trying to take over the world and because the avatar of the red used her powers and fucking ate one of one of the agents of the rot that unleashed the rot throughout the red and spread it throughout and thus kind of helped doomed the world almost Mm -hmm. and one of the issues is actually brilliant because we get to see the movie that buddy was in right yeah uh i think like issue like four or five or something it was the entire issue was just a was just a fucking chunk from the movie tights Produced by Liramax Films. I bet they really regret choosing that as the fucking thing. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, the movie I looks. I think Disney is going to sue somebody. <laughs> yeah, movie looks. All right. It's kind of a bummer. And also, weirdly enough, the suit, I think, looks very similar to the suit that Rain Wilson wore in James Gunn's Super. Hmm. And so I'm wondering if that's intentional, because okay. I don't think the guy in this has powers. I think he's just a fucking dude. Mm-hmm. Cause like he comes out it's like he comes out like trying to like stop a robbery and then just gets the fucking boots put to him. Show him how to do it in Scarborough way. Eh? Oh yeah, fucking fuck yeah, bud. But yeah, like the the rest of this book was interesting. They did they did some interesting things of like pulling away from the story to just like show something thematically related because the because the entire movie is about like the character Chaz just being like a washed up out of touch guy who just like wants to relive these glory days but can't because they're just gone. And so having that tie into Buddy's story of Buddy, the superhero animal man, has to play second fiddle to his four-year-old daughter because she's the important one. And he like doesn't he like doesn't want to put her in the front lines, but won't really have a choice because he's not the important one. It's interesting. They that is probably the most meta that at least this first issue gets. The story this first volume gets. And that's probably the closest it that's probably the closest it gets to like the meta of the Grant Morrison run, which I appreciate. Like they they didn't try to do just what Grant Morrison did again. No, because that would have that would have been awful. Yeah, that would have just invited. Like, I, I'd argue that a lot of people argued that the Peter Milligan stuff that came after Grant Morrison had kind of the same problem of like, oh well, it's just a slightly more horrific version of what Grant was doing, so no one cared. Yeah, but but yeah. Animalman, it was a it's a solid little book, and I will probably go end up go checking out the rest of the thing now that I know there's only twenty nine issues. Nice. As we move on to Frankenstein, Agent of Shade, a book that I believe I will have the dissenting opinion on. I really didn't like it. Oh, oh. interesting. 
Huh. I'm gonna say one thing about it. Uh, I think Hellboy's gonna sue somebody. Yeah, yeah I was gonna say, like the fucking. <laughs> so like, I know technically, so the, I know technically the Creature Commandos like predate the fucking like right. BP, BPRD, but but this is basically BPRD, absolutely, absolutely. Yeah, yeah I read is, the rest of the volume, and it just continues to be that it is. It, yeah, it is. This is and the they, it, this is the Hydrox to BPRD's Oreos. Mm-hmm. Like I would be less aware of it if they didn't the choices they made to add didn't just like directly reference BPRD. There's literally like, there's, the first... literally, there's literally a character they introduced to just be Abe. Yeah, that's what I was about to bring up. That they t- different purpose of the story, but it's just Abe Sapien, just a woman. Yeah, and like she chose to turn into that. She chose to cripple herself by putting by having herself have to be in a water suit. Mm-hmm. Makes no sense other than well, yeah. Abe's popular. Well, for reason, they, they go into... I've read an issue or two after this, and they go into reasons, but they're not good reasons. <laughs> mm-hmm. Yeah, so... Let's get into it. Issue one. Bone Lake, Washington. Grandpa and, his, grandpa and his grandkid are out fishing with a dog, and the dog gets skinned alive as the grandpa is about to be murdered, and apparently he knows what's happening? Because, like, as these three horrid monsters just kind of come out of the bush to just fucking destroy him... He says, it's finally happening, isn't it? Yeah, well, given what... This is the... I'll say this. Nico would have read... Have you read the whole volume? Knows this as well. They basically, at the start of the second issue, explain what's happening. So they just don't do it in the first issue. Okay. Mm -hmm. Yeah, that wasn't so much a hook of like, oh, the town knows what's happening? I gotta read more. And more just kind of... Okay. Yeah. I mean, it's it's not all that interesting when they do explain why it happened, but it... It is explained. Yeah. As we then cut over to in the skies of Manhattan, where uh, the uh, which the uh, okay, farm. I need to say I need to say this just about the DC universe. DC should never do anything in Manhattan. It just gets confusing. Because <laughs> mm-hmm. is Gotham Manhattan? Is no, Metropolis Goth- Manhattan? So Gotham is in New Jersey, and Metropolis is in Delaware. Uh, and yet everything that portrays metropolis always feels like it's just portraying new york it's just, yeah uh, it's the new york brain. of delaware <laughs> yeah and so like this first these first a like, couple pages it's kind of what we were talking about with like just like so demon knights had no explanation of what's happening so it just all felt very confusing and just kind of jumbled and didn't really make any sense. Animal Man had that like very well done in universe thing, just kind of going over the character and showing off where he is in the timeline. And then this has explanatory dialogue in like a text readout from ShadeNet, mm-hmm. the mm-hmm. like like the Shade computer fucking database thing. Yeah, and I uh, fucking hate it. See, and I hate it. I think I'm, so. I'm not certain, but I think I might hate this for different reasons than you do. Why do you hate it? It is because I'm not going to I'm not going not, not to go so far as to say I hate it. I just don't like it. Okay. It is. Well, I know. I know why I don't like it. Why do you not like it? This moves at a fucking breakneck pace with characters that mm-hmm. I don't care about because I don't have any connection to these things. Like if I had a connection to Frankenstein, I might be able to get into this. But Frankenstein to me is a new guy. And so he's just this fucking gruff weirdo with a sword and gun that I don't really care about. The rest of the creature commandos are just new assholes that I don't know or care about. Father Time is, again, an asshole who I don't care about. And 
I'm also really weirded out by making him a small Japanese girl. Yeah, oh, I, I, like I don't. That. I, <laughs> I, I don't. Yeah. Is there a reason for that decision, Deco? Do you know? Uh, I, he he states in this issue that he takes on new like uh, identities every so often. Yeah, but, like, but yeah, why it, why that specific for? Well, why not? I mean, they don't they, just, they don't uh, go into it. They don't really need to. I mean, it's it's a choice that he made, right? I mean, it, it's, well, I, so. I, I think it's I think it's weird. <laughs> I think it's weird, but I mean, like, uh, I think that's what's actually, I think, funny about it is just they don't explain it. They're just like, they're just like, they're like he just shows up and he's in this body and he's just like, yeah, I like to take on new uh, new uh, looks every so often. Well, no, so like, right. Father Time's powers <laughs> yeah. are every year he randomly generates a new body. Yeah. So the doctor, but more often. Yes. This, however, makes it every decade so that they can keep with the small Japanese girl in the domino mask for longer. Mm-hmm. That feels like an intentional decision to keep this character, to keep this iteration of the character around longer, and I do not understand it. Hmm. I also don't understand the domino mask. Did he gener- did he regenerate with it? Did he regenerate in the fucking sailor uniform? How much of these were just things that happened to him, and how much of these were physical choices of his? Hmm. Is Doctor Time Watch one of the? Is, is-, is Father Time one of those weird fucking Reddit perverts? Uh, I think you're getting too deep. Into I'm this, getting way personally. too deep into it. I know. Yeah, I mean yeah, that's. Okay, I mean so it's very surface level, honestly. It, like oh yeah, it's this, not that. Oh yeah, this so, this okay. is this is entirely this is entirely. Hey, wouldn't it be funny if Father Time was a small girl? Moving on. Yeah. So, what I have a problem with, and again, this is part of. I've made a point a couple of times in this podcast of uh, the kind of homogeneity of the new 52 universe where it's like we don't really want to do anything with the vertigo stuff so let's just fold the vertigo stuff into the new universe and at the same time our wildstorm characters we're not doing anything with them really so let's just fold them into the main dc universe and this book feels like a a wildstorm book with like all of the computer text the gruff kind of unlikable characters an attempt at humor by anti-humor it's just it just doesn't have the charm or maybe it's got the charm of one of the bad ones like this feels more like wild cats than say uh, <laughs> gen 13 which mm-hmm. i think gen 13 might be the only old school wildstorm book i like but i don't know i haven't i've tried reading the original Stormwatch. i gave up and uh i not that big a fan of wild cats I like, uh, I like Jim Lee artistically. I don't think he had all that great ideas creatively. But again, the thing I always think of when I think of Wildcats is this is just ripoffs of stuff that Jim Lee was doing with the X Men. And as I already said, this feels like ripoffs of BPRD and not done as well. <laughs> Which I know, did you have problems with Hellboy BPRD stuff, but. I still like it better than this. I don't think I've... <laughs> do I have problems? I don't think I've read BPRD stuff. No, you said specifically, we talked about, you read the first volume of Hellboy, and you're like, this is the most basic bitch thing I've ever read. Oh, fair. <laughs> okay, yeah, I completely forgot about that. <laughs> anyway. So yeah, they're in this like massive fucking city that is also very tiny because Ray Palmer's here. Hey, it's Ray Palmer. Everyone clap. Welcome to pain. <laughs> Uh, as yeah, we get a briefing on the situation. As uh, yeah, we it is explained that the monsters attack the fucking city. It 
it just got a like Bone Lake Washington. It just got fucking decimated. And so uh, Shade sent in Frankenstein's ex-wife, who I believe for this first issue is only ever referred to as Frankenstein's wife. Yeah, no, her name is never mentioned. The only thing that we know about her is that she is a ace agent. She's his ex. She well, she's his wife, but they are wife and husband and wife in name only, apparently for several decades. And she has four arms. Yep. Mm. Yeah. So uh, Frankenstein is being sent in to go like find his wife, find his survivors, and stop the monster attacks. The monster barely being held off by a fence and a series of Gatling guns. As Frank is sent in with the new creature commandos, which are an Abe Sapien, but she's a lady, a werewolf, a vampire who was made using a modified version of the man bat serum and yeah i don't get how that works and a literal actual mummy yeah which they which, know nothing hey, about <laughs> yeah. but hey i'm all for mummies I, I like mummies and horror stories they make no sense but they do whatever the fuck they want with them oftentimes they're used boringly this one doesn't seem quite as boring yeah he's just spooky and weird yeah as the vampire it's like, hey, fucking sit down, old man. It's time for the new generation. Just weirdly antagonistic for no reason. Yeah, and the werewolf is a kiss-up dog. And uh... yeah, werewolves, werewolves a fucking suck up. Um, Abe Sapiens a suck up. Is like, yeah, I based all my life's work on your on you and your stuff. You know how you were brought back to life, and then yeah, I turned myself into a fish. Same thing. She's better handled in later issues. At least from what I read, but the rest of them I just don't like at all, <laughs> except for the one who I know nothing about, which is the mummy, because yeah. everyone's just like, yay, the mummy's cool. It's like, what do we know about the way? Who cares? He's cool. Yeah. As they head in, just slashing, slashing through monsters, ripping apart people, and the mummy is like, and the vampire's like, yeah, everyone's fucking dead, though. The mummy's like, no, they're in the church. So they head into the church, um, push back a push back the altar to reveal a hidden area beneath with an old woman and a bunch of children who's just like get back to hell you fucking weirdos. That's where the issue ends. Yeah, it is breakneck. Yeah, and also I didn't get to mention this. Uh, speaking of breakneck, I don't think the action art is that good. It's not really in this. Not really. It's, it's just it's just kind of. It's fine. Like nothing feels like super impactful. Nothing feels. Like there's any like flow to it, it just kind of feels like they're just like, hey, here's a cool pose from one fight. And then as we and then cut to the next panel, it's a different thing. Yeah, which is weird because it's I, I, I guess must be. It's not the same. OK, so it's not Joel Jones. It's a J.G. Jones who has done other work. He worked on 52, apparently. But yeah, so that's intermittently. The, yeah, so that's the cover artist. Oh, that's the cover artist. Okay. Yeah. So uh, I guess, so actually didn't go through the credits for this. Apologies. Uh, so written Jeff Lemire, art by um, Alberto Ponticelli, with inks by Alberto Ponticelli, and uh, color by Jose uh, Villarubia. Villarubia. Hmm. Yeah, and I gotta say, I'm not a big fan of the art. Mm. Like, it's good for it's okay for like the monster design stuff, but that's kind of it. What the what, what else? Yeah, I was gonna say what I'll say about the art is I don't I think it, he loses something when it gets too busy. Like when he draws too many fucking things on the page, like with all the monster fights that end up happening in this book, I think it it loses like it, like whatever you whatever good things I think are, like are the things you might like about the art. Like I think he gets too busy when his stuff's too busy. He has too many things that he's drawing on the page. I don't know. I I don't enjoy that part of his art. I uh, think it's pre it's pretty loose. Though. Yeah, it's, I think it's the... very loose. Oh yeah, absolutely. I think the backgrounds work a lot better than the character stuff for me. 
Mm-hmm. Like, yeah. like, 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 even- and he's worked on other books. I'm more, I'm, le- I'm more fond of, but he's overshadowed by better artists in similar veins because he apparently worked on some of the IDW Godzilla stuff. Just not. And- and he was a vertigo Got artist it. prior to this, like to your point out your vertigo uh, comment. I mean, he's he's done a bunch of things in vertigo. Uh, again, I I feel kind of similar to him that I do about travel foreman. I I don't mind his art in certain areas, but then in others, I also don't love it. But uh, I don't think it was a terrible choice for this book. But um, you, you could have definitely gotten a lot better artist for sure on yeah. this. Yeah. Well, it like, looks like again, it feels like they were going for something kind of too generic for a concept this creepy like i know again to reference what the the line dead said that i had to remind him of of hellboy being the most basic bitch thing of this concept but there's a reason people remember that right that artist's art yeah yeah anything else about anything else to say about hellboy which isn't gonna be much because i don't remember a whole lot of it uh it's very distinct art style of course, it's Mike Mignola. <laughs> yeah, that, that's, <laughs> that's would not surprise me if the reason Hellboy has lasted as long as he has is entirely because of art. I mean, they have fantastic artists on all their books. I mean, uh, anybody who does Hellboy is very well curated, I'll say, BPRD and Hellboy, because uh, Mignola hasn't drawn the book in fucking forever. But everybody that they usually kind of curate to do their titles all have very similar styles, I feel like, and are all very good. Uh-huh. Um, yeah, it, it, it is the strength of those books, for sure. Because, like you pointed out, it's very it, it, about, uh, it's very, um, very much the same, I feel like, every time you you kind of uh, check in on a Hellboy book or a BPRD book. What they do, they do well, but it's it's kind of never changing the storyline. It's uh, BPRD is all, the, always the same thing. Them going on kind of weird cases, uh, you know, seeing the different yeah, characters that's, I that guess go through. I never get addicted to the Mignola. You could dip out and dip out, just, dip in and dip out. Yeah, yeah I, I mean, just it's, read it's, a story I like. I like I read Plague of Frogs and then I leave, or I read mm-hmm. Hellboy in Hell and then I leave, or something like that. Basically, mm-hmm. yeah. And speaking of consistency. I'm just kind of going through this issue again. This book has none of it because no, the fucking no, werewolf, doesn't. his fur changes color like five times in between pages. Yeah. Also, again, with the art thing, the perspectives on the positioning, the body positioning and the perspectives on the action shots are, again, it might be because of what Nico was saying about it being too busy, but it's really, really messy. and I can't really get into it. It just look, it's, uh, site editor Cora, when he was watching um, Blood Rain, made this joke. Uh, oh my god, that guy just got stabbed! I have no idea if they're on my side or not! <laughs> oh, the humanity! And these action scenes kind of remind me of that. Yeah, it's just, like, the monster designs themselves are very generic. Like, they, like they don't evoke a lot they just kind of are like hey monster but they're all like one uniform color in like the monsters are different colors but they're all u- one uniform color uh yeah and a lot the design a lot. work for these monsters is not as interesting as i would have liked yeah like the, fr- the first panel there was some differentiation between the monsters where like some of them had like weird like suckers on their bodies other ones were like more animalistic some were more humanoid but then we get into like the big big fucking smorgasbord fight in the town square and it's just it's just bodies mm-hmm uh, yeah, so, Nico. Well, there's uh, not too much I can add after you eviscerated it. <laughs> and, uh, you know, I will say, uh, this was my second favorite thing I read out of the three that we picked. I, I didn't quite like Demon Knights all that much, as I stated, but 
Um, I did uh, prefer hey, wins the night. <laughs> yeah, I, 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 you know, I did prefer uh, Animal Man to this. But that being said, I, I did still quite enjoy this. I, 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 I like it for what it is. I mean, there's not too much to add that kind of really changes within the next uh, uh, few issues that are collected in this first trade, which collects the first several issues. Um, it is just kind of more of the same them going on different types of like weird, uh, um, basically missions together. Um, things I did like about the first issue though, I, I did like, I did like the setup of introducing these people. I do think they did a good job of introducing us to a lot of the weird kind of aspects to this world and this setting and, and, uh, these I characters too much because it felt like, right. That's what I was going to get to. Yeah. It's... The freeze thing. There's a lot of stuff that I didn't need to know that they felt we had to understand immediately. Right. Whereas the stuff I usually care about, they kind of forgot about. Right. I was going to say, I agree with dad's comment about it, about all that text at the start with like the shade net stuff though. It is uh, revisiting this. It, I felt that this was much more overridden, uh, even to something in comparison that we talked about tonight that Lemire also had written, which an animal man, right? I felt that this, as it as this book goes on, it gets a little bit more kind of like uh, better flowing, I think, in terms of like you don't have to re keep reintroducing all these concepts. The only new things they got to introduce are, I guess, the the new aspects of every weird mission they go on. But you kind of already have been introduced to these characters and kind of shade uh, the the actual um, people they work for and everything like that. But yeah, it, it is very overridden, I feel like. Um, but yeah, it's just kind of more of the same. And it is very much fucking BPRD, honestly. And if you are a fan of BPRD uh, as I am, I, I, I you will find something I feel uh, like to enjoy here. Uh, kind, yeah, kind, it's, 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 it would be like a lesser BPRD story. Sure. Because one of the things people love about Hellboy is just how much of a bro he is as a character. Where it's like, yeah, he's a demon with a big red stone hand who fights monsters. But he would rather just be sipping a cold one at home watching the game. Like, that's right. a charming character trait. I, at least this first issue, I don't really get any interesting character traits off Frankenstein. Really? Mm -hmm. Yeah, Frankenstein is just kind of... I read and don't like doctors. But but that's honestly like I kind of love this character as the series goes on because he is just fucking her like his whole catchphrase is that her like that Frankenstein thing because he literally just shows up to situations and is getting kind of like sent it to all these missions and he's miserable as fuck he just yells things at people <laughs> like it, it's just I don't know I kind of like I like that he doesn't really have that much of a personality because he is the fucking Frankenstein <laughs> monster I kind of I, I enjoy it like it, it's kind of he's just a, a a sharp object that they throw at fucking different creatures and they kind of just send him on his way it's like you know, object, it feels like kind of a blunt object he just blunt object whatever he's, he's got that huge <laughs> fucking sword right is what i'm trying to refer to but yeah i know yeah, but it's just like frankenstein in the in this frankenstein is as much of a sharp object as guts's sword is in berserk right 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 <laughs> it's big and technically sword shaped but it is too big to actually have a cutting edge so it just rips things apart <laughs> Um, th some th things I liked uh, in the rest of the issues, though, I, I did kind of like um, the OMAC crossover and the in the short-lived Dan DiDio written OMAC book. <laughs> the, fu <laughs> but, uh, the fucking OMAC book. <laughs> yeah, but it's actually a pretty fun. Is that a, 
Was Obak a good book? Because I was never like, why did they make a book out of Obak? Did people really like Obak's appearance? Dan Dio, really? do you want to guess? Very fun and dumb eight issue series, honestly. Like it had some great art. It had that Kirby energy to it. They had an artist that definitely had the Kirby kind of style in it. So, it, and it is a Kirby character, of course. Um, but yeah, it's it was a very fun, dumb book. I would not recommend it if you're not in for just like seeing some beat em up action type stuff. I mean, if you're going to be, uh, you know, uh, it's not the best thing ever, but I, I did like the crossover between the, these two books when I did read it at the time. Um, in this trade, it only had the one issue on the Frankenstein side of things, but, um, and, yeah, and then like these workers that basically they have that are lifeless that work for shade. There's a whole storyline in this that they start off with that, like they, uh, and ended an issue that they become sentient at some point, And then they end up attacking all the people that work at shade. So I, I will say like as overridden as it feels like at times, another good thing about this is that within the seven issues collected in this trade, uh, they never spend too much time on any given. It's not like writing for the trade now where like this whole first six or seven issues would be one storyline. There's like about three different missions that they go on within this trade, which I think if you're not a fan of what's going on in one, you know, you might like, like the next one, if anything. And and it ends on an interesting note where um, it looks like uh, Frankenstein's daughter was locked up in shade uh, and you know apparently for whatever reason and he doesn't he's not even aware of it not his daughter sorry his son is locked up oh. and then he gets loose at the end of this book and um then his boss is just like yeah it's uh frank it, it's finally happened we we didn't tell you what we've had trapped in here um but there was a fifth prisoner in the zoo one so dangerous and secret we didn't even keep shade net files on him and now uh, he's escaped and it's your it kids, was him, frank. frank something's gotta be done it about was, your kids it was your son and then he's kind of like you know him and and his uh, ex-wife there are just a gasp at the end of this <laughs> that's the note they end off on in the is trade. that why they're they've separated because they couldn't do anything about their son uh anyways i had fun with it so uh no, I, I enjoyed had, it i i think i enjoyed frankenstein the agents of shade more than dead just because i found it amusingly dumb but yeah. uh I I didn't it, find it amusingly dumb. I didn't necessarily find it dumb. I just found it super uninventive and boring. Yeah, that's fair. You're okay. allowed to have your opinion. I I I just I I don't think I don't agree in that sense. Oh, I thought I, it was a fun book. I I I know I know what you mean, but just I love that sense because it always because it always comes across as you're allowed to have your opinion. It's fine to be wrong. Yeah. <laughs> it's all right, Dad. It's, it's like, okay. You have your opinion. I don't have to agree with it. Yeah. Demon well, Knights was shit, though. <laughs> I honestly don't, for the most part, don't disagree with that. There's some good stuff in it, but like, if that's okay, if, if, you, if you, you want, want me, to, if you want you me to die on the post of Demon Knights, I'm not going to do that. You want, you know, it's okay. He, he wants to hurt my feelings. <laughs> no, no, no. I know. I'm just joking, man. Uh, but yeah. Oh, yeah. good. Yeah, it was. I I enjoyed revisiting it, but uh, yeah, it is dumb fun, and in in uh, in this uh, definitely be a PRD ripoff. So yeah, if that so, sounds like something you're interested in, there you go. Yeah. So this might have just been so like this might have been just like the order rather than because I read Frankenstein first and then Demon Knights and then Animal Man, mm -hmm. and it was weird. Like looking at the pacing of all of them, it got slower as I read them. Like 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 fucking Frankenstein: The Agents of Shade. That was a 23, 22 issue, 23 page issue. I fucking blew through that in what felt like a second. Yeah, I'm not going to lie. 
I read it while sitting in line at the DMV. <laughs> yeah. Then we get to Demon Knights, and it's paced a little bit better, but not to any like reasonable degree. It's paced slower, but it just has to throw more shit. It's up, even though I think Agents of Shade has more characters in it than Demon Knights. It feels like Agents of Shade is not throwing as much shit at the characters somehow in the first issue as Demon Knights is. Yeah, no, like 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 Agents of Shade had like or there's the Ant Farm and Shade City and Father Time and Ray Palmer and the fucking new creature commandos and your ex wife and this and that, and then and then like just that is fucking ridiculous and packed into what feels what feels like twelve seconds of television. And they go over to Demon Knights, and it's like, hey, here's a 22-minute episode. We introduced five characters. Fuck. <laughs> they spend so it's just so much. And then Animal Man is just it's just good. Animal Man is just like decently paced. Introduces the introduces the information. Yeah, the its gr- biggest problem is it's kind of ugly. Yeah, a little bit. Which 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 sometimes that works, and sometimes it doesn't. <laughs> yeah. Well, that's one of the biggest issues. The other biggest issue is the fact that it's tied to my favorite comic of all time. <laughs> yeah, but for you, you said that's not that big of an issue. It so. is that. It is that big of an issue. It's still an issue. Okay. It's still. It's still like, hey, I'm reading Animal Man as my eye then drifts over to my Animal Man omnibus on my bookshelf. <laughs> See, I have that problem whenever I read any when I read or watch She-Hulk stuff. As I just drift, my head drifts over to the the uh, Dan Slot run on my shelf, which. I keep resisting the urge to rebuy, and one of the big omnibus is like, no, you already have it. You already have it. Don't <laughs> buy it again. Uh, but yeah, I if it were if if we were doing like any kind of rank ranking stuff, it would just be like Animal Man and the other two. <laughs> See, I'm not I'm not gonna be that mean. I'm gonna say Animal Man. Uh I'm actually gonna say Agents of Shade and then Demon Knights, just because Demon Knights of the three issues. Demon Knights gave me the least reason to want to keep reading somehow, despite it ending on a decapitation and dinosaurs. I somehow was less interested in reading after that. Yeah, I, I agree with Birdie's ranking and for the reasoning as well. Just basing it off on a first issue only um, basis. Yeah, that would that yeah, would like, that would be my ranking as well. Like it's so like it's so bizarre to me because like the because like the way you're talking about like the dumb action fun that felt like like. Demon Knights felt more like that because it was just, it was like literally it was dinosaurs with fucking swords fighting goddamn barbarians and knights and shit. I would agree, but the problem is I had again going back to my main complaint about Demon Knights. I had no idea what the fuck was going on. Exactly that's, that that's the reason why I didn't exactly. That's yeah, and, exactly and that's, it. Yeah, and, and that's that's kind of why they're like even in my head. They both like trade off in certain elements that are just like, hey, this thing's but, better over here, but this thing is worse here than this is better here. And there's kind of like right. It's kind of like a zero sum game. I would rather have them fucking give us too much, like Frankenstein, Agent of Shade did, than not enough in like the Demon Knights uh, aspect. That's that was the only reason I think that, and and, and it, you know, and the art was much better in Demon Knights. You know what I mean? There's that too, yeah. right? Like there's that aspect of it. Um, I just think that like there was so much in Frankenstein, yeah, and and whether or not you you enjoyed everything that's going on or the characters involved. I think there was a lot more to latch on to saying like, Hey, here's these characters. Here's your mission. Demon Knights was like, here's a pat, something from the past, like a flashback. And like, here's briefly the years, a bunch of characters. And then like, and then you're off to the races, right? Like, so like Frankenstein, like for you guys, Frankenstein is more like an episodic TV show. where are just kind of, Hey, we get in, get out. It's fucking digestible, dumb, fun. No, don't think about it too hard. Demon Knights is trying to set up a like 
fantasy epic, but it's doing it in the capacity of like a 22 minute fucking serialized TV show. That's why Animal Man was the best first issue out of the whole bunch, though, because it established that he's got the family thing. He has a past. Uh, it shows you him doing some superhero stuff, and then it gets to the horrific shit right at the end of the issue. Like it's it's it gives you everything. I think like a first issue in terms of pacing and introducing you to kind of like a status quo of a character. It gives you everything you need to know about that character in one issue. Yeah. Right. And, and, and kind of sets you on your way. Whereas, yeah, the other two were I think we're having some issues and they had. The, and then and then again, they were establishing other things like, um, you know, about the fact that, hey, this thing with the Frankenstein exists within the DC frame of the DC universe. Right. Like and it has it has to worry about that shit, too. Right. Like it's. It's, I don't know, like where Demon Knights didn't have that, like it was like its own thing, which I actually appreciated about Demon Knights. I will yeah. say that. So, yeah, yeah. Uh, Animal Man, definitely the best, best setup of a first issue, I think, out of the bunch. I I think we, we all agreed on that, right? Yeah. So, yeah, yeah. no, the, easily like I'm not doing the, oh, they're fighting for second all way down below Animal Man thing that Dead's doing. But I will agree <laughs> that there is a gulf between how much I liked Animal Man versus the other two. Yeah. Well, my opinion may be wrong, but I win in the end, I guess. <laughs> no, it's no. not about winning. <laughs> you, I mean, are, it's... <laughs> you are the best kind of correct, so technically yeah. correct. Huzzah! Yeah. <laughs> <sighs> but yeah, so that's good for this episode. Thank you all for joining us. We'll be back at some point. Till then, I'm dead. Uh, Birdie. I'm Nico. I still like my pick. <laughs> <laughs> we'll see you guys next time. <laughs>